Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 58 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Shaq's free throw form, a.k.a. the Bears running game, and (laughs) a.k.a. Soldier Fields. And I am joined here by a fantastic guest. He played college football at Navy, was drafted by the Green Bay Packers, played 11 years in the NFL, was a pro bowler, the founder of Process to Perform, and an ambassador for the Hall of Fame of Behavioral Health, Mike Wall. You got any AKAs for yourself today? I think the only thing I can think of, man, is Bald Marauder. People call me Bald Marauder from time to time. That's email hit. I like that Bald Marauder. I like that's the that. Best thing, that's the best thing I could come up with the first day I walked into a Mac store and they're like, hey, man, what's your email? I was like, I don't know. Bald Marauder. <laughs> that was it. I got to ask, what year was that the first time you walked oh. into a Mac store? <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. So I had, that had to be like mid-2000s, right? All right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. I, you got to remember, when I, when I, I forgot my first computer when I was back in college. I guess how old I am. So it's like you remember, and we were at the Naval Academy, right? So you're trying to download like naked pictures of Pamela Anderson, and it's literally like, I mean, listen, I'm, I'll just tell you how it was, right? It's line by line, and we were like, and just wait, <laughs> like that, like that's really how it was. That's how crazy. You're probably too young for that. That's really how I it am. was back in the day. I am. Yeah, we at least had dial-up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, fantastic. We have a decided show for you today. We are going to get into the nitty-gritty, give you the tee-off, some hot picks for week eight of the NFL. And, of course, since I have a Pro Bowl offensive lineman here, we are going to break down some film and get his insight on some of the things circling around the league. And with no further ado, let's get right into the show. The Fly Route Pod. The Fly Route Pod. The Fly Route Pod. The Fly Route Pod. Welcome to the tee-off. Ooh, 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 spill that tea, sis. This is how I like to start the show off. I like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they have gotten into since we have a pro NFL player here today. I mean, who better than to spill the tea than him himself, who was in the locker rooms and everything. So do you want to start with any crazy stories that you want to share about your time? You played for the Packers. You played for Seattle. You played for Carolina. So you've been in a lot of different locker rooms. Yeah, the locker, I tell you, what, the personalities are different. You got to remember, everybody's coming from a different set of truths in the locker room, right? All different. We talk about different cultures, different styles and everything. But you're also coming from a different set of truths. And so like, I remember very you know, particular, there was a fellow in my locker room my first year. And I came in a 21-year-old, went behind the ears. I have no idea what's going on. Really naive, naval got me kid. And I'm walking into this like Reggie White led defense, Brett Favre led offense in Green Bay. I'm really lucky to be in this situation. But, you know, there's dudes around that are just, you know, you're in Green Bay, small town, and there's only like the ratio of, uh, you know, Green Bay Packers single men or, or Green Bay Packers men around the prowl to like women that they want to be attracted to or that are they're attracted to. So I'm like, it's, it's actually kind of a skewed ratio, right? So I remember this this one guy, man, this guy would show up and he looked like he had a Batman utility belt on at the locker room because he had so many cell phones for different women. <laughs> at, at, like in the locker room, it was nuts. I'd be like, hey, who's that one for? He's like, oh, little Cindy. You're like, who's that one for? Oh, Jenna, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it was that kind of stuff. So that was all eye-opening to me because like I was just talking about, we were on that line-by-line computer. So the idea of having even two phones, much less four or six, whoo, different. Okay. Yeah, that was like 1998. So they were all like brick phones a little yeah, bit, oh, right? You, you, you're all, yeah, you're still almost on the one that's on the in the middle of the the console on the uh, in the truck. <laughs> 
All right, fantastic, fantastic. I know there's a big story that people talk about the mix up with the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. I did my research about this, and this story is kind of crazy because they see that like you were going into your senior year, you were supposed to be a captain of the team, and then they say that you fail a PEDS test. And honestly, I did my research about this because this is insane because they said you failed a test and then you subsequently pass all the more rigorous tests and somehow they still kicked you off the team. What happened? Well, they didn't, so they didn't kick me off the team. I mean, the NCAAs, you know, we, we talk about them what every every two, three months about just what kind of what kind of uh, organization they are. But, but, but I, I went through that situation. And of course, I'm at the academy, so you got to do so many more subsequent testing, and a lot of things go on. And like, obviously, like you never really want to put in that situation. It's embarrassing to your family, and something I, I I don't I'm not like you know thrilled to revisit all the time. But it's crazy because we we did go through all these subsequent tests. They take you to the the spectrometer Olympic labs at UCLA, and everything kind of comes back clean. So I'm kind of like, oh, you know, let's take this to the incident. Can we can we just get this lifted and just move on with our lives, kind of thing. And like I was telling you earlier, you got to take tests every week for the Navy. And anyways, although those are not, and I found out later subsequently that those are not the same tests. But look, bottom line, terrible situation. I think I'm through it because those tests, everything came back negative, and you know, it's just one of those things. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of false positives in that world. So we thought we were okay, and then they came back on April 1st on April Fool's Day, and they're like, "Yeah, man, you're done. You're done for the year. Now you have a chance to play next year, or whatever." But then I got to start like figuring out what's that going to look like because now you're still at the Navy. There's still those consequences and. And certainly, the, if I ever want to play ball again, like, I, here's what's nuts. So I got done. My, my head coach, Charlie Webby, was such a great guy and, you know, just knew that, like, where I was coming from and, and I just really wanted to play ball. He actually knew a guy at the Edmonton Eskimos in the Canadian Football League. And they called me up. They'd seen my tape. And I didn't know at this time, but my junior year, people have been – NFL guys have been coming to see me. Like, I, I didn't know they were coming to see me. I thought they were coming to see somebody else. But in fact, it turns out they were coming to see me. But the Edmonton Eskimos ordered, offered me a two-year contract, 42 Canadian, plus a guaranteed bar job in the offseason. And I was like, man, it's time to go to Canada. I'm going to be a Canadian football player. I was thrilled, man. So then I get – it's just the most random stuff in the world. I got a couple agents calling me and blah, blah, blah. You got to do this, fellow, do this. And then this guy calls me from Cleveland, Ohio. His name is Neil Cornrich. And he's, you know, he's the guy – he was a big client – a big agent at the time. I didn't know that, but you find out later. And he's like, I don't want you to do anything. I'm going to come down to, to Annapolis, get off a plane, and buy you an ice cream cone. We're going to talk. So comes down, buys me an ice cream cone. He's like, look, man, you're going to go, and, you're going to go high in the – you're going to play in the NFL. You're not going to the Canadian football. So I was like, yeah, if you say this, if you say this, I'd call my parents. Like, hey, man, this, thinks I, this guy thinks I could play in the NFL. So, I mean, it's really – it was kind of a crazy thing because it happened so fast. And obviously, like I said before, like, you never want to put yourself in a position – with anything, you know, I, like after, like after that went through, you know, after I went through that, you know, you really get super, super um, vigilant about anything that you're buying from GNC, anything that's going in your body, like, especially you get, you know, you have that scrutiny that's coming trailing with you. You don't want to embarrass, that's an embarrassment to your family and your friends and everybody that, that's worked with you. You really find out how your friends are in that situation. But I mean, I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad it worked out. Right. I mean, hey, you end up going to the NFL, being drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And I feel like every single list of best players in the supplemental draft of all time, you are on like top five, top 10, every single one that I found. Yeah, so man, like, it better be. You kidding me? Yeah. So, who was it? Chris Carter, Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams yeah. is my draft. Hey, Jamal Williams is a bad man now. Yes, he is. He is a bad man. Yes, he is. So that, that's an exciting story. That's kind of crazy. You got any other things that you think pop out like oh this was an interesting one that people don't think about God, well i mean we have so, there's so many times in in especially like in early your early years in green bay i mean i remember things like i walked into you know the pontiac silverdome for the first time and i remember we we're about to play uh 
were about to play Barry Sanders. And there's two things that really stuck out, stuck out for me. Like the first one was when you went in the Pontiac Silverdome, it was literally a slab of concrete, you know, 120 by like 70 yards. And they were just literally rolling out. There's no like no foam, no like rubber mat or nothing. It's just like rolling out carpet. To sit on. They're like, oh, that's what we play on? Like that's, that's what AstroTurf looks like? Like people now cannot even believe that to be true, right? And then I just remember like guys like Barry Sanders. You got to remember when, when I was in college and, and, and in high school, like we didn't have the access, you know, so you just got a chance to like, I got the chance to see Barry Sanders maybe once a year. He was on TV for definitely for like Thanksgiving. Right. So you see every once in a while, you see this like guy who's larger than life, even though he's, you know, kind of small in stature, he was literally as wide as he was tall. But the way that those, those individuals, certain individuals in the league kind of affect everybody else, like how scared our guys were of trying to have to tackle him was absolutely nuts. We walk around the locker room like the week before a game, like, hey, man, you got to take your shot. Don't miss. Don't, don't worry about missing. Now you're going to miss anyway. Don't, hey, just take your shot. If you don't take your shot, I can't take my shot. And it was just why every day walking through the locker room, the training room was just on the tip of everybody's tongue because he used to eat us up. So it was like those kind of moments. It's those kind of moments. And like the first time you go up against Reggie White and he literally clubs you to like, you know, the, the next restaurant down the block. It's like those kind of moments kind of wake you up, especially when you, you know, Naval Academy option kid, and you're just kind of going like, man, what am I doing here? I had, a, I had a lot of like wake you up moments. I think it was early years for sure. Hey, I, it, that was a really interesting thing. You said a guy that, you know, you're kind of afraid to hit. Everybody's like, don't miss. Do you think there's anybody in the NFL now that kind of gives that same energy? No. So, th- so there's guys, so like there's guys like, um, so there used to be a thing called the Larry Allen flu. You remember Larry Allen? You're in Dallas. Ooh, I, I'm in Dallas now, but I was not. Okay, so Larry Allen's Larry Allen's like this. Like he was a left guard for the Dallas Cowboys. He played a couple positions. He's really left guard, and he was like the baddest dude on the planet. He had a 700 pound bench press. He could run like a four seven. I mean, he was just oh. he was. People oh. were literally like defensive linemen were scared of him, and they and they literally called it the Larry Allen flu. People would get the Larry Allen flu the week of the game because they didn't want to play him. So I remember I'll give you a story. So so we're about to play the San Francisco 49ers in like maybe my second year, we're going to the playoffs. Second and third year, I'm about to play Dennis Stubblefield. He's like the reigning NFC defensive player of the year, right? Okay. So my agent, and I, we have the same agent. Agent calls me up and he's like, hey, if you really want to know how to do well against Dennis Stubblefield, you should go ahead and watch that Dallas tape. He doesn't. He seems to not play well versus Dallas. And I'm watching this Dallas tape, and like, he's literally afraid to get punched by Larry because Larry bench presses 700 pounds. So I call my agent, but I'm like, hey, man, I love you, and the, we're, we are good, but don't ever give me recommendations about how to watch film or do anything because I can't literally do what that man does. He's from a different planet. Right? <laughs> so this, like Aaron Donald's kind of like that right now. Like you could see a guy – like you could see a guard right now being like, ah, my knee's a little sore. Like, man, I got to play Aaron Donald this week. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like he's that, he's that kind of bad man. Okay. All right. That, okay. That's that's just, that's okay. That's it. Aaron Donald. I'm not. That's not surprising to hear that. That's the uh, that's like the closest guy that kind of gives you that vibe. All right. Let's 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 keep it going. And that was your tee off. Oh, 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 spit that tea, sis. All right. Let's let's move on. I like to do a thing called the fly five picks, and I give five picks for the for the week of teams that I think will be pretty good. And so far, we've been doing very very good. This year, and I got a couple of them. But before, I want to talk about some of your former teams that won't make my five fly picks. But I want to know what you think. So first off, tomorrow we get the Packers versus the Cardinals. The Cardinals are favored six and a half. Six and a half. Oh, six and Packers. a half. Let's go. You go, oh, Packers. Okay. Oh, let's go. Yeah, all day. Wow. Which one am I? 
I yeah, mean, there we are. They, I don't right know there. if Devontae Adams will play. He had an end. Lazard's not playing. That Lazard thing kind of hurts, though, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Man. Yeah. I, like, the line is pretty big, but I think it's pretty big because I don't know who they're going to have out there catching balls besides Robert Tanyan. And I don't know who the fourth and fifth guy are, but they're the first and second this week. <laughs> well, MVS might play. Ecumenia St. Brown might play. Uh, he might come back this week. And... and they can run too tight. I mean, here's the deal. When you look at, like, if you, if you go kind of deep inside the numbers, there's guys that have, have, have moved the ball on the, on the Cardinals. They just turn the ball over a lot, right? I mean, they had some amazing week, like, first week, and they've been playing really, really well. But they do turn – you know, people have been turning the ball over, and that's why there's been, you know, the, kind of these scores. So, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, it's like you watched the Texans game last week, and they can blitz that Mills kid from every which way, right? The boot can come off the slot. They can do whatever they want. But you're not doing that against, like, Aaron Rodgers just because he'll throw the hot route. Like, he'll make, he'll make those things work. So – I don't know. I, I mean, I think this is one of those games where, you know, they're kind of playing with house money a little bit, right? Like nobody's expecting anything from them. And in those situations, you usually see, I think that the record's like 6-0 and when Devontae doesn't play, despite being the best wide receiver in the game, because it does, it does kind of force everybody else to step up their game. And also when you're playing against a, a number, a primo receiver like that, like you're always, your focus is always there. Whereas now it's like Aaron's got, I mean, 50% of the balls right now are going to, to, to one player. So now he's like, I can spread the wealth a little bit, right? So that actually, that might make it more dangerous in the short term. Maybe not in the long term, but in the short term. And, you know, I, I don't think, me personally, when I watch the, the offensive line of the Arizona Cardinals, I think they've been playing well. I think Kyler Murray masks a lot of problems. But you could see when, when like, when a guy like Richard Gary is, like, just coming up right now and starting to learn, like, man, this hand really works at pressing that tackle. He's getting to be pretty good. He's, like, four or five plays away from being, like, like game play special. Four or five plays a game from being the guy you got a game plan against. So he could have one of those kind of days, man. If they can just keep that guy corralled a little bit, you know, we got chances. All right. The next one I got is the Panthers versus the Falcons. The Falcons Ooh. are favored by three. Yeah. I mean, it was Sam Darnold playing. I mean, what's the, like, I, I think he's I feel starting bad for that again. Guy, man. But... Feel like, it's almost feel like he got, he, he was ruined in the Jets. And then, like, he had this, he had this, like, honeymoon for like two, three weeks when he was doing well. And then it just, like, revert back to the mean or wherever he was. But, I think like their their defense is is awesome. Carolina's defense is nasty, right? That Pitts kid though for Atlanta, he just feel, he just feels like a difference maker right now. And the problem with Carolina's defense is like they got a lot of small guys that move around really well, but you can't like if you're gonna have to be out there for seventy five plus snaps or something like that because your offense can't move, like, you got problems, man. I think that's I think the Falcons might take that one. All right, now the official five fly starts here, and these are the picks that I'm 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 really hot on. So I got the Bengals versus the Jets. First off, the Bengals are favored ten and a half, and I'm slamming this one. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. All yeah. right, yeah. The Jets are starting backup quarterback Mike White, no, who dude. has played one NFL game. <laughs> the Bengals I want you to name, without looking at your, without looking at your stat sheet, man. Name like three players on the. You know what I mean? Like it's it's tough right now. They, it's tough. Ooh. I can't name three healthy players for the Jets, but I can name three total players. No, I mean, they're supposed to have a great D-line coming in and everything, but it the Bengals – and here's the thing. It's funny what happens when you you have that one player that comes into your organization that makes everybody believe. And Joe Burrow, he said it last week. He's like, I don't – hey, I mean, you're talking about the Ravens crowd noise. Like, dude, I play in the SEC. Are you, are you serious? This isn't going to bother me at all. You know what I mean? And then that dude, like, they just had that thing on uh, on Twitter this morning about how Jamar Chase came in when he got drafted. He's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to break every record they have, period. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And confidence, like, the true definition of confidence is when a guy knows he's going to or she's going to do something. They might not know how they're going to do it yet, but they know what's going to get done. Like, that dude, 
he doesn't care where he's playing. He doesn't care he's playing for Cincinnati. Like somebody forgot to tell him they're not supposed to be any good. I like that team a lot. <laughs> I do too. They are surprising. They're like uh they are arguably a top five team, if not just top ten for sure right now. After that game against the Ravens, I was like I was shocked how they kind of handled the Ravens, who had been really yeah. good all year long. All right, are we rolling down next? And I'm taking a lot of double digit spreads, even though that's a little bit dangerous, but some of them are just too juicy. Rams versus the Texans is my second pick. The Rams are favored by 14 points. I'm still taking it. I'm still taking it. And generally, 14. I say, I, I, look, I'm gonna, I say, gonna, 14 points is a lot too, man. I mean, 14 points, that's like college. It is. I, I know. I know. It that's is tough. a lot. But the Arizona covered 20 points against them last week. Two weeks ago, the Colts covered 14.5 against them. I want to say I like uh, Mills, but I see I like Mills. Like oh. it's, it's one of those things. Like you got it's it when you're in that situation, especially when you get thrust into it with Tyrod Taylor getting hurt immediately. But I think he's back this he's back this week, but he's not he's probably not going to play. But when you get thrust in that situation, like midweek or like mid game, like your playbook closes right, and then they're like, ah, I can't open it. Like they just can't get that playbook open, right? So you watch their games, it's like so many wide receiver screens and. They're just trying to take the pressure off because, like, you see in Arizona last week, man, he might be looking over here. They got a two-by-two. Two. They got three guys over there, and they're like, all right, he can take those two. Our line will slide left. We're good. He drops back and just hits, gets hit in the back of the head because he's not thinking about it, right? So it's, just, it's like those kind of awareness things that you've got to learn. And as soon as that something like that happens, like that playbook closes back up, man, and they're like, all right, hey, let's just throw that quick screen again. Get you two. It's tough. So you think it's partially they don't trust him enough yet? It's not a trust. It, it really isn't a trust issue. That's the wrong word. It's just that you have to develop those guys. I mean, you see it all across the league with, with some of these young players. And the guys that have success early have some, like, have a staple that they can deal with. I always go back to, like, Roethlisberger. He's the easiest, like, he's the easiest example in the world, right? Like, small school, Miami of Ohio, but he goes to the Steelers. The Steelers have, like, all pros everywhere of the offensive line. They got Jerome Bettis. Dude, he was only throwing the ball, like, 17, 18 times a game, and it was all, like, play action and quick passes. Now, if you could actually recreate that, right, it's different. But you don't have fullbacks in the league anymore. Like, you don't have that power run game unless you look at, like, you know, the Titans. Like, most of most of the way that people run the ball now is different. If you went in two tight ends that you could actually block, and you go two tight ends and, and then run all your play action and stuff off that, you might actually have a chance of doing something special as, as a rookie quarterback. But all this, like, shotgun spread offense stuff, and there's just – like, defensive corners have too much free time on their hands to think they're not going to come up with a scheme to, to, to at least make you confused for that half second. Okay. Uh, I will say, without going into all the stats for this game, the Texas only averaged 14 points a game, and the Rams averaged 30. Yeah, it's a little tough. It is a little tough. All right, the next one here, and this one might be me being a little bit of a homer, but I just can't help it. The 49ers play the Bears. And the 49ers are favored by three and a half. So I am taking the Bears as a dog. How do you feel about it? You're playing that? at Chicago? At You're Chicago? playing at Chicago, yes. I could see the Bears winning that game easily. Yeah. Easily. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the Niners aren't the same team, man. Hey, when they when the Niners got here's the worst thing the Niners have done. You talk about Trey Lance, you talk about the worst thing the Niners uh, did in the last two years is they let old boy uh, 99 walk over and, and, and play for the Colts on the D line. Mm. That that is a hey. He was all pro last year. That kid is a problem, and they don't have that interior rush anymore. They just don't. It's not the same. And when you don't have that, like your whole defense is relying on a couple of things, right? Penetration and pass rush. Because you got two linebackers on the second level, Fred Warner. They're great players, but it's like they're not very big, man. So you you like everything's got to go together. Where 
this guy's penetrating. If I'm getting off on the linebacker, that means that like the guards get his ass kicked. Like that, that stuff is people don't think about how important that is on all three levels of the game. Look, I, this is actually everything because all the numbers basically say everything that you have just said in a way more succinct way. Like the 49ers are in the bottom half or quarter. If every defensive rushing statistic, all of them, all of them in the bottom half of the league or the bottom quarter of the league. And I like this game because Chicago has learned that they are a run first and run as often as possible team right now with Justin Fields. Like we are top three rushing percentage team, top six yards per game. Like, I like this a lot. A good matchup for us where we could just kind of play to our strengths. I will tell everybody that hold off on betting this game at three and a half because there's a chance that Khalil Mack will not play which will make the line even bigger and better for Chicago. So that's something that I'm really interested in looking at. We'll move Is Quinn back down. in? Is Quinn back this week? Quinn should be back this week. Khalil Mack, there's a chance he might go on IR. That's how bad it is. He's dealing with the ankle and foot thing. That's too bad. See, yeah. so I, play, I, I, I didn't play with Quinn. I got, to, uh, I got to work with Quinn. I was down in Miami. Back, hey, he's different now. He's a different – I mean, he's like a special – he's a very, very underrated player. He's extremely – he's like one of those guys. There's a couple guys in the league where you're just – like people are – it's like um, Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram, okay. Yeah. Those guys, they might not have the numbers, but people people do not want to see them on Sundays. Like Melvin Ingram is one of those guys. He's never led the league in sacks. But people do not want to see him. He has all kinds of problems. New Chargers coach, his name is escaping me uh, right now. Um, Brandon Staley? Brandon Staley, he had a great quote a couple weeks back about how stats are an inefficient stat to kind of define whether or not a guy is good. Instead, you should go for like hurries and like QB hits, et cetera, because those are way more predictable about future Mm -hmm. performance. And like, I thought that was always really big and like kind of proves why people like Robbie Quinn maybe don't get the credit that they deserve. We are moving down to another game, and I think this game is going to be exciting. Bucks versus the Saints. The Bucks are favored Five and a half. I'll take Bucks. Oh, me too. The Saints were yeah. barely able to hold on with the Seahawks this upcoming this last past week. Yeah, the Bucks offense is just they just got too many weapons. Gronkowski came back today, I think. He they did. got too many we- they got too many weapons. So did Levante I like the Saints David. defense too, but I like and I'm I'm one of those guys who's kind of in Jameis Winston's corner, like I'm rooting for him. You know, I, I like the redemption story idea. I I like it, but I just Tom Tom Brady could win the MVP this year, man. Like he's he's doing that well. <laughs> Yeah, he is. I mean, like this is this might be like his most productive season ever. He's on pace for it, and like it's like not even close. He's on pace for smoking the Randy Moss year right now. So like it's interesting. So yeah, Gronk, Sherman, and Levante David all came back into practice this week. So yeah, they're, they're yeah they're gonna be pretty big. Honestly, this is actually the smallest spread the Bucks have had all year outside of their game against the Rams. They've been favored well, by a larger margin than ever. Division opponents play each other different, right? Because of the familiarity. But you, and you got to look like Bucks secondary is decimated. You know, they got Sherman coming back. But it's like last. It's like the the Seattle game. You know, I think they were saying it on TV the whole night. Like, who's Jameis Winston going to throw it to if Carrera's not in? Like, where's the ball going? It's just you don't have that rapport with those guys. I don't know what the, what, what the deal is. Like, I know Mike Thomas isn't back yet, but and maybe he comes back this week. But gosh, it's it just feels like they don't have. They can't take the top off the. You know, they can't take the top off the coverage. They, they just have problems. Yeah, they, they seem like 50 to 60% of their offense is just all Alvin Kamara. And, and, I, and I think the left guard just got hurt, which, I mean, he's, oh. he's, a, he's an above-average player, you know. So, he, so yeah, it's, that's problems, too. You know, when you think about it, you got Sue and Gavita Vale inside. All right, this last one is a Sunday night game. The Cowboys are playing the Vikings, and the Cowboys are only favored by two points. 
Cowboys all day. Yeah. I was shocked this spread was this small. I know the Vikings are at home and everything, but the Dallas is 6-0 and against the spread this year. Dallas can score points in a hurry, and, like, they got guys that, you know, like, like Diggs is just showing out, right? That's going to be a fun matchup, by the way. But you, you kind of look at it, and the Vikings always are better. Like, I don't ever give the Vikings credit because of the Vikings, but, like, they're actually better than I think I give them credit for. But having said that, man, I – I can't imagine. I just can't imagine Dallas is kind of feel like they're on a roll. They're kind of figuring themselves out on defense a little bit more, and they have so much confidence on offense right now. They, I think most people are healthy generally. I think they might even get back Collins. I know they're going to lift that suspension this week, so he might play. And now you know that offensive line's even better. It's like they're rolling right now. Yeah, I, honestly, this is going to be an interesting one for me because Dallas has the best offense in the league, and defense has been Minnesota's Achilles heel all year, which is crazy because Mike Zimmer is supposed to kind of be the defensive guy, but their offense is all they have right now. All right, so that concludes the five five. So I want to know what y'all think. If you all will follow on, we went 3-2 the last couple of weeks, 4-1 the ones before that. So we are pretty hot right now, and it sounds like you you're feeling most of the picks I got here so far. Yeah, I think I'm with you on. I think I'm with you on all of them. Yep. All right. All right. Fantastic. Let's keep it moving. Big trust. Whoa, whoa. Next segment we're gonna talk about is I kind of want to get some thoughts from you, more like personal questions. So my first one is, what is the best team that you were ever on? Eleven years in the league, yeah. the best team you were ever on. So I made the NFC Championship my first year with the Panthers, but that was not my best team. The best team was the team that lost that. Uh, I think it was like 2003. It was that we lost that fourth and 26 play in, in Philly. Uh, and then and then I think the Panthers beat Philly that year to go to the Super Bowl. That that team was – man, we were loaded. Up, I mean, it's like you look at that team. We on, our, on offense, we had 10 starters who were like Pro Bowl players. And the one guy was Mark Tauscher, and he was a Pro Bowl player. He just played right tackle in the day where like right tackles had been Pro Bowls. But like every one of our guys was – we were top – we were just really – we were really, really good. We didn't thought we were unstoppable. We actually ran for like 2 250 in that game, man. We still lost. Oh yeah, I, I, that is that the line like Clifton Rivera Flanagan. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like people are still to this day on Packers Reddit talking about how great that offensive line was. That line was <laughs> legit, and we were just lucky. We all came together with like Amon Green, Will Henderson was our fullback. Bubba Frank, Bubba Franks was so underrated. I mean, he got he was a Pro Bowl player, but like he was underrated, especially in this time. And then we brought in this kid Kevin Barry, who. He went to University of Arizona. He he weighs like I mean he was like a three hundred and sixty pound kid, and he played tight end for us. And it was like he, the things that he would do, like you didn't want like the defensive men's mom to watch the game. The things he would do to this guy every once in a while, man. He would like literally throw him out the bar, pancake him. I mean he was a nasty. He was nasty on the field. So we just had talent: Donald Driver, Javon Walker, Ferguson. I and mean, we were just we were stacked, man. It was it was a fun time to be a, an offensive player in the Green Bay Packers. All right, that's that was the best team that you were ever on, and I think that there's a lot. So you have the you have the business and podcast process to perform. So you talk a lot about what it means to be successful and how it works. Yeah. What is the process for it? So give us a little bit more information on that. Sure. Yeah, I, I work with athletes really of all. I work with pros all the way down to like preteens and. There's a tool set I think that it takes to become like the best version of you. I call it just becoming an elite. And the three themes that we really work on are mindset development, technical mastery, and, and ownership decisions, which is another way of saying making decisions in the best interest of future you. And and for me, when I look at I, it, this, really the impetus was I, I went back in the league after taking five years off looking at finance. I went back in the league because I just missed sports so much. And I just noticed the guys that were coming in were just lacking some of these things that we were kind of 
force fed or we're just, we, we were ingrained in this from a younger age um, because of the way that, you know, the pay to play sports are now and everything, the big business that sports is, we just miss some of these fundamental tools and the guys that kind of figure this out faster are, are, are the guys that have a lot more sustained success and are trying to like ascend every single year. It's like, there's a reason that Tom Brady is 44 and could still be the MVP this year. Right. Like he figured it out. Right. He, and every year he's trying to figure it out a little bit more. It's the same thing with all the top players in the league. So I took that. I started looking back down at, you know, I had kids that were just getting into their teenage years and started looking at it and going, man, this is some information that if we had it back at this age, we can ingrain those behaviors now and teach them about routine development, teach them about having, having a kind of an ownership mindset, being able to take ownership of your career. It's just, it's so invaluable, not just for sport, but just for the rest of your life, the way, the way you operate that, uh, I thought it was important to try to get it out there. All right. Awesome. So what do you think is like the hardest part of the game that people don't understand? I think that ultimately every athlete is trying to do one thing and they're, they're trying to enter any, into every situation with as much confidence as possible. And I don't think athletes really know where to get that confidence from. And, and for me, confidence comes from, there's only one place that nobody can take from you and that's confidence in your preparation. So I don't care how big, fast, strong you are. I don't care where you were raised. I don't care if you had money, didn't have money. I don't care you know, the color of your skin is. Like, If you understand the preparation that goes into being the best version of you, you can walk onto the court. You can walk onto the field to play knowing that you've earned the right to play well that day. Man, that's, that, is a, that is a feeling that I wish everybody, whether you play sports or not, that is a feeling that I wish everybody could experience because it is like the best feeling in the world. All right. So I got another one for you, and this one is the game that haunts you the most. Fourth and twenty-six, me. man. I just talked to twenty-six. <laughs> the one where your legs got kicked out under you. Oh man, yeah. So the fourth and twenty-six is preceded by the fourth and one that we could have we could have gone for it when Mike Flanagan and I had a, a second string defensive tackle. I don't even know the guy's name, and we're we're literally yelling at Brett like, "Please hike this ball and just follow us." And we'll end this game right now which is preceded by the fourth and inches on the goal line. We ran 92 G lead, which we had never run before. And it was basically like a trap play without Kevin Barry. And I think it was Corey Simon uh, split our double team dove, took my legs out. I took out AG and we're both fumbling around and the linebacker came around, made a play. And it was like, we were about to go up like 14 or 17 points, man. That was the game right there. And it's like, it's crazy what happens, but that was a bad feeling. Dude. That was a bad feeling. And I don't, you know, you don't know during the game that like, I knew I got tripped up, but then afterwards I'd be like, my trip up got him tripped up, and then that's how we that's how we got stopped. The domino effect, the domino yeah, effect. All right, so you ended your career in Seattle after like another injury happened yeah. to you. How do you think that the league has changed in the way that it handles injuries, et cetera? Well, I've, obviously, there's some the rules have been put in place. Whether you want to say that it's for it's because of they care about players or whether they just care about dollar signs and they're trying to make every you know trying to get like younger players to keep playing and whatnot. But I think what's changed the most is player awareness and understanding that they're you know a lot of players look at their at themselves as young entrepreneurs and they're building a brand right and their business is is their body and their output. And so back in the day, I would continue my peers would continue to play with head injuries, shoulder injuries. We would play until we literally couldn't play anymore and then we would go stop playing. Whereas I'm not saying this isn't because they're softer, it's because they're just more aware of of kind of the business side of it, right? They're more aware of like longevity. I just actually did a podcast on this. Longevity matters more to play to professional athletes than it ever used to. Like I knew we had we had a finite amount of time in the league. I, we were going to play around if we were lucky play around 10 years. So we're going to make it the best damn 10 years we could. 
if it was the best eight years versus like an average 10 or 11, I'd rather take the best eight nowadays because they're getting paid so much. Right. It's just a different equation now. They want to play for 15. How long? They want to play as long as they can. They don't care if they're playing at, you know, 80, 95 or 90 percent of their capacity. Right? They don't want to play at 100. They just want to get there. So the arguments change. And because of that, I think like the awareness is, is a lot different. Obviously, the communication you have with technology and whatnot is different, too. Facts. So the game has changed a lot. I feel like we've talked about this. You were a big run blocking guy, like back to your draft profile at Navy. Like that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to run yeah. the ball down people's throats. How do you feel about the evolution of the game and people moving more away from the run and everything's real pass happy spread yeah. offense? Yeah, well, so Brandon, so Brandon Staley, the coach for the, the Chargers, he actually had a, a real good statement a couple of weeks ago. And, and obviously the, the real change has come from what? Has come from fantasy football. It's come from sports mm. betting. That's where, that's where the change in, in the rules have, has really come from. Because we, we, that's, how, that's another way for them to earn money. So the fantasy football came up, and then all of a sudden you see all these pass-happy you know, statistics. And they, they might call it in, in, the, in the case of – they might call it in the name of player safety, but really – it's just bringing another demographic to the table, man. That's, that's really what it is. And so for me, you know, like, like Coach Staley said, you need to be able to continue to run the ball. You have to have a plan because it takes the aggression out of the defensive line and puts it into the offensive line. Otherwise, the offensive line, like it's – I'm just telling you from, from my personal experience, I would hate – like I, I watched the Houston Texans last year line up and like spread 65 plays a game and, and do five-step drops. Like, I, I would have – I just wouldn't – I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have gotten a fight every second quarter and gotten kicked out of the game because I hated it so much. So, <laughs> yeah, so so for me, it's – it's you have to be able to find joy in what you do as a profession, right, and being able to go forward and, and, and be that aggressor. I think that's very important to the game. And so when I look at it, like, I understand the analytics and I understand everything behind why we go to three wide instead of two tight ends. But, look, the pendulum swings one way. And the pendulum's going to swing back. You see more tight ends coming back into the game. You see run, you know, you see like the, the, the Titans, obviously with a special guy having a lot of success. The Ooh. Niners for years have had a ton of success just finding space. The Rams had a ton of success finding space. So we might call it different things, not downhill run anymore. They might run an outside zone. They might run around toss sweeps and jet sweeps. But you know, it, it's as long as we're as long as we're as, as an offense, if we're being honest, we're making and making the defense play honest, so they can't just tee up on us every time. Like you got to do what works for you. Okay, I'm with you. So we talked like I like talking a little bit about how it changes for the offensive line. I got some film that we can break down here. I can start it and stop it whenever you want. You okay. can. We are starting with some Packers v Bears stuff here. Uh, this game was not great for mm -hmm. my Chicago Bears, but uh, let the this next is a good game. Though. This is a good. This is a good game. A good game. It was a great game. Justin had a chance to come back at the end, which was interesting. But, like, of course, you make some rookie mistakes. You take the sacks instead of, like, letting the ball go. And then the drive is dead. And you give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers, and it's over. But I could start, start it and stop it whenever you want. Go back whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Let me, the viewers, everybody know what you are seeing. All right, let her it look like we got a two tight end set, right? So you got, you got 21 personnel. It looks like – go ahead and let it run. Sorry to the audio only. Seven man audience. box. We are breaking down film and it is available on YouTube if you'd like to follow along. I want to just roll back real quick. Of course. So, so they're, just running, they're just running an inside zone. And really, what you see is first of all, Mercedes Lewis, one of the packs tight ends, is, is been for the last 10, 15 years, you know, one of the arguably the best, if not the top two or three blocking tight ends in the NFL. Not only is he a great locker room leader, but he's just a real, real pro. And so having him on your side is just such an asset. And it's the reason they've been able to do a lot of things. He kind of, he's kind of like under the radar, 
really, really valuable player for them because like Tunyon's like, I think he was, I think they rated him like the worst, you know, blocking tight end in the league last week or something like that. Like he, he has no business being in there. So, and I know they brought 81 in and they're trying to do some work and Lazard's actually trying to get in here. Right. You can see him right here. He's trying to try to get involved, but this is just like an inside belly play. They're going to try to get two double teams if they can with the center and the left guard and then the, uh, the right guard and the right tackle and really just try to drive those people back. So you look at, you look at that play and, and what happens is, especially on the left side, the left guard comes up, which is John Runyon Jr. He's been doing a great job. And I can't remember if Myers played. I think Patrick played this game. So he stands him up. Patrick pushes him over, and then he can kind of climb to that second level just enough to get a hand on that linebacker so we can try to run through that play. And essentially that's what you're trying to do every every play. You're trying to, you're trying to create vertical separation on the defensive line. So I always look at it this way. If an offensive lineman can move a defensive lineman off the ball, like vertical separation for a yard, not like swinging them open, but actually moving them a yard off the ball, that's at least three yards. That translates to at least three yards of untouched grass for, for a running back. So that's how we kind of think about it. So if you can get two double teams, a very, very basic play. If you can get two double teams and get those guys moving off the ball, get them on their heels, and then just be able to get a hand on that linebacker, you're betting that your running back is going to at least be able to fall forward for five, six. Okay. I like that. I like that. So then we'll move on to the second play here, and it's goal line play for the Packers here. Third and goal. Let me know when you wanted to run it and what you see. Yeah. So let's just let's just, obviously it's you know empty formation, and they, they got a three by two on the on the right, and you're just looking at it. there's a there's because you're on the goal line, everybody's crowning the line of scrimmage. Um, I don't think a lot of people are thinking that Rogers is going to do a. Um, a quarterback sneak here, like a lot of players would spread this, or a lot of teams would spread this out and just like QB, QB draw. They're not really in that position because they kind of almost have a bunch of formation on the right when you see it. But you see a lot of people, a lot of people in the line of scrimmage. So what does that tell you? They're, they're probably trying to give an indication that we we don't know who's coming if we're looking at it from a Green Bay Packers perspective. Um, down here, you know, you kind of look at the bottom of the screen. They're obviously going to be playing man to man. So, you know, there's a lot of tips already. And so it really turns into like up top. How are they going to switch off those players on the defensive standpoint? I think that's Devontae up, up top. And then I don't know who the second player is, but they've got three up top there. How are they going to switch those players off? Jones comes back in. That was actually really that's just clean. That, that's just that tricky shovel to Lazard. Yeah. I mean, this is this has been actually pretty popular, right? Like Amon Green is funny. We do a podcast. Amon Green was like, he was like, everybody thinks this is a new play, man. He was doing this with Big Lawrence. Rest in peace it, it, uh, at Nebraska, man. They were doing this like 20 years ago. But this is a great play in the NFL right now, you know? You see the Chiefs doing this all the time, right? I think once the Chiefs kind of brought it back, everybody else was kind of like, oh, why aren't we doing the same thing? And you see that happen a lot. It's a, it's a great place. We used to run it. We used to call it – it's called a shovel pass. It's called 17-18 shovel pass. And the reason that it's so effective is because it really puts that defensive end who in this situation, when, you're, when your tackle disappears – and you see that that motion guy coming across right in your face, you hesitate and stop. And if you just stop and square your feet up to that quarterback and try to find the ball, it's already too late because the, the route that Lazard's taking is almost right into the end zone. You see, like I think that's Quinn on the end, on the end, right? Or I, I can't tell who the right defensive end was right there. But as soon as he squares up, like it doesn't matter. It's over. The play's over. Can't do anything about it. Even if they're running a game and they and they stunt because the tackle went down, he's not gonna. He's always gonna stunt wide at the linebacker position. So more often than not, you're gonna overrun that play. Okay, so we got a little bit of Bears work here. So there's oh, been a lot geez. of talk about the offensive line for the Bears yep. and how it's... Rightfully so. <laughs> okay, so how yep. is it atrocious and how the game plans aren't really built for Fields to succeed with that type of offensive line. So I love to get Pro Bowl offensive linemen here. Like, I love to get your insight on this. So yeah, I think you, you saw this too, just like generally, speaking generally, right? I know they switched it over to Bill Lazor 
play calling. So there was that honeymoon period where you guys won a couple games and then now it's like revert back to the mean, which is kind of what always happens, right? It's not like Matt Nagy didn't know what he was doing, right? It's just, it's unfortunate, right? That whole narrative, the way they've handled it up there has, has been, I think, fun for media types, but I think it's difficult for the team. Let's say, why don't you just take a look? So if you, real quick, the Packers, they, they've got, they got three by two over the top on both sides, really. So this is, this is kind of, as you look at it, they're just playing pass. Obviously, it's an empty backfield. And, you know, the narrative in the league right now for most teams with athletic quarterbacks, with wide receiver frets is, hey, man, we'll let you play from like the 20 to the, 20, to the 30 or the 40 on the opposite side. Right? We're going to give you the field and we're just going to we're going to bear down. No, no pun intended, like in the red zone. Right. We just want to clamp down because we think we're going to score seven a lot more than you are. And so there's a lot of like free field movement and a lot of just like playing like in a lazy cover two shell coverage over the top with a lot of these teams. I don't know if that's what they're going to do here. It looks like they might. And we'll give you the five yard. Like basically what they're saying is like, I think your offensive line is terrible and you're going to make it, you're going to make it, you're going to make a mistake, whether it's a holding call, whether it's a, a false start. I think your quarterback's young. He's going to make a, a decision error. Right. So they think that you can't drive the field without making mistakes. And it really only takes one mistake to get you in that like second and long, third and long. And then game's pretty over, pretty much over. If you don't have a, a, a qualified quarterback, which right now, I'm rooting for Justin Fields because I think the, I think the NFL is better when the Bears are good. But he's, you know, we need to get there a couple years from now, maybe. That we'll run the play. So Kenny Clark had a had a had a good game this game. Um, I think they just ran like a TE, although he got I think Rashad Gary got slammed there. Uh, you know, basically Kenny Clark's been having one of those years where he's not going to pull up. I think he had two sacks in this game. He's not going to get a lot of sacks. He's not the kind of player. But he's like an All Pro level run defender and just you know all around defensive lineman like full. He's like a Cam Hayward to me like full package. Yeah. Rashad Gary is, is becoming a monster. And, you know, you have a double team on your, with your left guard and center. Uh, I know you had a, you had a chip block when you're tied in to, to take Gary down, but they were running the game anyway. So it kind of worked out. And you look right here, like, are, do you have options? If you're, if you're the quarterback, you know, you've got a guy out, outside coverage, outside leverage on your, uh, on your tight end out of the backfield. So you might not want to throw that. You look at the 40 yard line with the guy running a, what looks like a dig route. You can see the shadow of his guy covering. So that's probably a, a, a window pass that he could make if he's comfortable making he might not be comfortable now and then you look on the other side which is probably going to be his third read because it's to his left and he's he's got that five yard out that's covered as well so he's looking at this like where do i go with the ball right now i can't see the whole field but that's how i see it from this from this perspective and all of a sudden kenny clark's bull rushing your right tackle and it's like oh man i gotta get out of here again let's see what happens I, at the end yeah there's a lot of that so once you get like once he turns his hips to the sideline plays over see what i mean they know he's not going to be able to make a pass well they know you. You should know. He better. He better know. But as soon as he's <laughs> running to his left and his belt buckle is showing to his sideline, man, you better not throw that ball now, right? That's some Pat Mahomes stuff. You, you know, like they're not teaching that at quarterback. You, right? All right, we got another one here. This is another Packers play. Ooh. <laughs> so, ooh. Ooh. Oh, no, so we just AJ, missed all the tackles. Well, AJ. So AJ Dillon's a big man. Like he's a big dude, right? And so. And so uh, would you want to go back to that, go back to that play real quick? Yeah. So as you watch this, I think they're going to run the wham, which is when they bring the tight end backside. So we were talking about this. This is what 81's in, in the game for. So just go ahead and run it. So you'll see on the top of the screen, there's a, it's a two by two, two tight ends, but the one's off, the, off to the right. He's off, he's hipped off the right tackle, Billy Turner. Okay, there he comes. So yeah, now he goes for that wham block, cuts Quinn, right? So they can basically push everybody to the right. They get Again, all we're trying to do is get double teams down the middle trying to get double teams up to that linebacker level. And you can just let that other guy play free because they're going to wham block on the backside. Wham block means tight end, you know, for tight ends who can't block, they just, they like five years ago, they decided, all right, we're just going to run you backside and have you cut the defensive end to keep him out of the play. Keep him honest. 
And then Lazard's going to come in and try to dig out that safety who's in the box. And now it just turns into, it just kind of turns into. He uh, doesn't get, get touched. In well, it's like... well, so, so Royce comes down. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a, a, an open side counter, right? So Royce comes down to the right guard and runs the trap game. And they actually cut the ball inside the trapper. So all that means really is we talked about this before on the, sh- on the shovel play when that tackle goes down and your, your linebacker overruns, like, you know, the, the, the tackle is going to go down. The backer's usual track is probably where the tackle is, right? But now if the tackle disappears and leaves that, like, four-yard hole, well, I can kick you out now, right? And so you see Royce, the, the right guard came pulled and kicked that play out, and now he's going to cut backside. Backside, again, you always think about, like, in any confrontational sport, bro, if I can get you to turn your hips that way or that way, you've got serious problems trying to tackle me, right? If you're not square to me, if I get you to turn your hips that way or that way, you've got real, real problems because I'm going this way very fast and I'm a big dude. AJ Dillon is a really big dude. All right, we got we got, we got, got one more, I think one more or two more plays from the Packers-Bears games here. So, yeah. You got that bunch on the left. Let's, let's, let's run it, see what happens. So, cool screenplay, right? Cool setup because they run Lazard on the backside again and they're kind of running that counter look. So, you see what – what is the hardest thing for defenses when you've got a lot of guys pre-snap motion and post-snap motion, right? Because they have to communicate. So you're running all – you're making these guys – first of all, you line up in that bunch. Lazard's hipped off the tackle like he is going to go backside, so you're anticipating that. Then you see it. Now you're focused on something else, and what do they do? They slip the back over on the left side to get their guys out, right? I think it looks like they identified whether it was man or zone. That's a big, that's a big thing in, in the screen game is whether the, the offensive line can identify – is it man coverage or zone coverage? Because if it's man, that means a linebacker's got the running back, and we got to get on that guy now. If it's zone, you're probably going to the flat, right, for the first guy who's going to make the play. Go ahead and let it rip, yeah. So you see uh, Rundy Jr., who's been playing lights out. He gets up on the second level and really makes that play go. It's fantastic. Okay. This one's probably a touchdown. <laughs> oh, no, this was not. Okay. Okay, this well, wait not. a second. I think we, But we talked about this, right, now. Go ahead, go ahead and ruin it. So that's that's two guys we've talked about. That's uh that's Quinn, and I think I think that's I think that's Tunyon. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You did say he cannot block, yeah. and he gets yeah, it is Tunyon. Yep. He gets pushed right just, back into hey, the back. Look, it just so the problem is like if you're a Packers fan now they like they you can't even bring him in the game, and, and otherwise I'm gonna know it's a, it's a pass like or they'll like flare him out to the left and we're trying to run to the right like he becomes a liability right so. It's almost like you don't become completely one-dimensional, but you have to now game plan your own player, right? Which These is really tough. tough. It's really tough. Yeah. yeah, but listen, you know I love Quinn. Man. Quinn's like one of those dudes. I got a story about Quinn. I'll screw it up, but the, the gist of it is we had two guys that had played for, for the L.A. Rams, right? And they were kind of wrestling around. And I was like, oh, you know, we're in the weight room. And Quinn goes, Quinn goes, oh, yeah, it's like all-state wrestler twice or something like that. And I'm like, okay, I can believe it, right? If you saw him, you'd be like, okay, I believe you. And he goes, yeah, but I didn't start. I don't think he started wrestling until his like sophomore year in high school. He's like, there was an announcement over the PA. He was walking down the, the hall. There was an announcement over the PA. He's like, anybody who wants to try for the wrestling team, get on the bus at like 2 p.m. after school. He was like, I think I'll try wrestling. And he was two-time state champ. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me, man. You know how hard wrestling is too, right? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. All right, so I got some questions for you. Is If you had to make a list of like your top – Five. I wouldn't just say just straight O lineman, but if you want to say it's a like you know it's a joint thing, it's a process. Mm-hmm. They have to gel together. Like the best O lines in the league right now. Ooh, 
top five guys or just like who I think the top five lines are? I would take either. I would take both. Okay. <laughs> so I would – wow. that's So the Browns are by far the best. I think that's easy. Browns are nice. <laughs> to me, it's not even close. Um, I'm just trying to think. There's a lot of – there's a lot of injuries, right? A lot of injuries along the line. Um, the I think, you know, to me, I like – when the Titans guys are healthy, I just like the way they play, right? Tyler LeJuan had a rough first game, and I know he's hurt now, but I just like the way they play, always have. The Packers are going to have a really good they've, – they've been playing – well, I know their stats don't say it, but, like, they got three young guys playing. I think they've got a lot of talent. Bakhtiari is, for me, like – Bakhtiari, Trent Williams, and, and, and Tunzel are the top three tackles to me in the league. Those guys are really good. Um, I love watching – I don't think there's a lot of really good – I guess what I'm saying is, like, the Cleveland's, like – they're literally on their own. Like it's, it's Cleveland and then everybody else is like so far down the mountain. But when I look at like players that I just really like to watch, like I love watching obviously Quentin Nelson. Uh, I love, I love, I love watching worse from, uh, from Tampa. I think he's awesome. I love watching their center, the, the, the ginger, you know, the black belt in Taekwondo. I forgot his name. He used to play for uh, Baltimore. He's, he's a bad dude. There's some really good individual players out there, but yeah, it's, it's funny. The, like I said, the game's kind of changed. And so, like when I look at when I look at offensive linemen now, I'm always looking at like, okay, do they play with great hip hinge? Like, where's how's their technique of their hands inside? Like, is their footwork like methodical? Like, is it really consistent? Like, you just don't see it as much as you used to, and so you just see that there's a handful of teams that have really good offensive line coaching, and they're like they're just way ahead of everybody else. And honestly, I would say the Green Bay Packers is one of those teams. I think they have a really good coach in Adam Sinovich. and you can see because like they can just cycle through all these players and just keep rolling, even though they I like. I know they have Aaron Rodgers and he's, he's incredible, but they're doing a pretty good job as well. Right. So Tampa's got a good line. The Cleveland Browns have a great line. Green Bay's got a, uh, it's got a pretty good line. I think St. Louis's line is, is pretty solid and Arizona's line. You know, people are saying their tackles aren't very good and blah, blah, blah. Like Arizona's line. Like, if you're running and throwing for that many yards, like you're doing something right. Okay. I like that. I, I know you got to go soon. So let's just wrap this up with the last segment. This is the last segment of the show. The heart of the show, Ballers Bouquet. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious mm-hmm. things athletes do, and they never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, I like to make a change. So this week's Ballers Bouquet is going to our guest, Mike Wall, who is a player advocate for the Hall of Fame Behavioral Health. It's a mental support group ran by the NFL where they basically provide comprehensive solutions for mental health, behavioral health, substance abuse issues to former players, veterans, and their families. So I want you to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame of Behavioral Health, your role as a player advocate, and what it means to you in the league. So I was approached with the idea of of becoming an ambassador, and it just I think it makes so much sense. I can just tell you personally that I have so many friends and my wife has like so many wives of friends that, you know, cause a lot of guys don't want to talk about this. It's not macho. Right. But who really struggle when they leave. And, and I remember Scotty Graham who's the running backs coach for university of Arizona. Now, but he used to be a, a player rep for the NFLPA. He used to come in with a stat every year. We see him every year. Right. And like Scotty's the guy that, like gives you your union check and like, he tells you all the stuff, but he came with a stat of year and was like, I, I don't want to mess it up. It was like 80 to 90% of, of NFL players after they, retire after three years or like dead broke or divorced and like however they came up with that stat that's still a pretty damning stat right so knowing that there's all these people out there that are suffering now we and now we kind of see the the effects of like injuries traumatic traumatic brain injuries etc and people just don't want to admit that they need help or want to go seek out that help it's like 
sports psychology is something I'm extremely interested in. But as an athlete back in the 90s and 2000s, it's something we would never touch. And so of those people from that generation and before, I think it's really, really difficult for them to even wrap their heads around that. And so for me, to be able to be a part of a group that is willing to reach out and, and provide that help and, and just understanding that if I see one of my former teammates, if I see somebody just because we, they're really accessible to everyone, if I see one of, you know, a service member or anybody that might see me and say, I remember that guy or, you know, I like that guy, whatever it is, I'm on there. You can call me. It's a discussion, you know, something like I'll be your first point of contact because I think that's easier than, than, than sometimes making that hard phone call. Like I need help. It's like, man, call somebody who just wants to talk to you and talk things through. And then, Hey, if it's what you want to do, like we can help you get to the, that next step. Certainly. So I love what they're doing. Um, I'm super, I, I'm super proud to be a part of it. And they have a great platform they're using called VidSig. It's uh, it's, I think it's after like video signature, but it's a phenomenal platform. Go to VidSig.com and you can go on, you can just grab a chat, just set up a time. If anybody's out there and they're hearing this and they're going, man, that might be me, and I'd be more than happy to be honored to talk to you. So uh, certainly give me the opportunity. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Look, that was it for episode 58 of the Fly Route Podcast. I want to thank Mike Wall for coming on, sharing his insights and being a fantastic guest for us. Please let everybody know where they can find you, your information, et cetera. Yeah, hit me up on uh, process2perform.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is unrivaled ESS or process to perform on Instagram. Check out our process to perform podcast. And one more, I got to get you. Mon Green and I, Packers all time leading rusher. We do on my block the Packers podcast. We do it every week. Releases on Tuesday. If you're into like these kind of stories, we talk about old times. We talk about some locker room stuff. We talk a lot about kind of our analysis from, from the pros perspective, man. It's, it's a fun podcast. Check out. All right. Sounds great. Make sure y'all check that out on my block process to perform and follow him on Twitter, Unrival ESS. Yep. Fantastic. So I cannot wait to bring everybody episode 59 next week. Thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, Audia, or you're just watching clips on social media. We appreciate every single one of you. And I'll see y'all next week. 